Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers House of Commons, bam, your one-stop shop for all things competitive and at the common rarity. Chev, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Recording this right after a, a game night with uh, one of the guys from PDH Pod and uh, Big B Blake, which we'll get into in a little bit after this. So my brain is full of popper and I'm, I'm excited to, to get into it. Yeah, we have um, a lot of things to discuss on today's episode. You know, three is a magic number, right? So we really figured we were going to jam pack it. So let's uh, let's start just jamming through. First off, we are your source for all things competitive and at the common rarity, which in this case includes 60 card normal popper. We had a quote unquote like emergency banned and restricted update today, September 19th. Mm-hmm. And we have banned Era Kokrasnik, Stirring Bard, Underdark Explorer, and Vicious Battle Rager. Now, you don't really need to know what any of these cards do. They just all involve the initiative. Right. We're essentially banning initiative. I think there's like one or two other cards that still have the mechanic, but they don't really see play. These are the main ones. We've talked about one of these cards before, particularly in PDC's context, where we saw just how brutal it could be. So in something like 60 card, where you can run four of them, it's just going to be worse. And even, even as we saw in games today with PDH, initiative can really kind of take something and run with it. And when you're talking about 60 card two and you, you somehow manage to keep the initiative uh, with a 1-5 on the board uh, and you get to that, look at the top 10 and put a creature down with three 1-1 tokens and hexproof, things are going to go downhill. As Wizards <laughs> continues to print cards and make all cards more powerful, not only the rares and mythic rares, but the commons, mm-hmm. we have started to see that Popper gets thrown drastically out of whack when uh, yes. things like this happen, especially when it's... A multiplayer mechanic. Yeah, Monarch threw it out too. We got that um, one and two blue tap down a creature and then gain Monarch. That was like the first casualty of multiplayer mechanics in Popper. Yeah, anytime we get a multiplayer mechanic and common cards in it, um, it's just no good for two player. So this makes sense. Um, I think there was there's some murmurs that this is going to bring back affinity to the kind of the forefront. We won't go too much into it because we're not while we are your your one-stop shop for all things competitive and at the common rarity, we have yet to fully dive into two-player Popper 60 cards. So maybe we can get uh, Brad or something on here to give a more in-depth analysis. Definitely something we should look into in the future, but I hope that this is going to at least make the metagame better because from what I have heard of people who do play Popper, uh, this kind of Popper, 60-card Popper, religiously, um, the format was not good. Yeah. So... <laughs> Hopefully this is a step in the right direction. It took them a long time to get the initiative and gate cards onto online. And I remember hearing that like the paper Papa meta was, was splitting from the online because paper had access to initiative and Popper online didn't. And Popper online was like, we need these cards. They're changing the game. We need them. And then they got them. And it was like, oh no, go back, go back, go back. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly a time exactly. when MTGO moved a little too fast before they realized the problems. That's it for 60 card. Let's let's talk about right where we came from. We're actually recording this like an hour and a half later than we normally do because we just did uh, Game Nights with Brad, one of the hosts of the PDH pod every Monday and Saturday evenings, uh, 6 p.m. Central, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, runs PDH Nights. All of this is available on Brad Drack V's uh, Twitter. There's a sign-up list in Excel you can jump on. So Julian and I wanted to jump on his first Monday stream and see what it was about. We played with Blake. We got in two great games and honestly, some of the most interactive we've seen in a while, I think. Yeah, it was a great time. Thank you to Brad for having us on. It was an interesting little meta. We had Blake on Seder Enchanter. Uh, We had Brad Cormella, the, of course, uh, Grixis Streets of Nucapenna commander that we've seen in many a combo light in the database, but this was actually Steal Your Stuff and Sack It Tribal. Yeah, Threaten Tribal. The rationale was because... She's a thief. Yep. And that's it. (laughs) And you know what? That's good enough for us. And then you and I both played commanders from Darmanari United. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, both Rakdos commanders. Yes. I was on Torwacky the Younger, and you were on Garna Bloodfist of Kelt. It was good enough for for Cormella. It wasn't good enough for Brad. Unfortunately, the the threatened build of Cormella, uh, at least at the casual level, it didn't really hold up into to what we were expecting. But I think every other deck did exactly what you'd expect it to do. I don't think currently we have a Seder Enchanter list on the database. That's not because we don't believe that Seder Enchanter is competitive, uh, as we saw tonight with an Armadillo Cloak stacking instances of lifelink, um, multiple forms of protection, uh, all this kind of crazy stuff. What was that? It, it was like Chains of Gossamer or something, Gossamer Chains, where yes. you can bounce it to hand to fog a creature 
and just keep playing it for value. Like Seder Enchanter is incredibly good. Um, the, the creator of the list for the database just took it off. So we're actually looking for a new one. If you got a Seder Enchanter list, let us represent that it is one of the most powerful decks just due to that resource engine. As Julian said, I was on Garna, Bloodfist of Keld. My overall feelings were I think it didn't quite do what I was expecting it to, where the idea of the deck and philosophy was as many token generators as possible, you know, empty the warrens, dragon fodder, hordling outburst, anything that makes these 1-1 goblins that I can then swing with, uh, and then either they die in combat, and I draw cards, or they make it through and ping our opponents a little bit. With sack outlets available to kind of sack them when I want, and of course taking advantage of the miss often misunderstood cleanup step of combat, which happens after damage is dealt, but before combat is over, you can still do game actions. This is how reconnaissance works to give all of your creatures vigilance. So I, I thought the deck did uh, decently. It didn't win either of the games, but I, I really liked what I was seeing out of that sort of engine with Garna and drawing, drawing cards, etc., etc. Your deck was really sick. I think the philosophy is in the right place. I think something that should be said is that we signed up for this, I want to say, like last Thursday. Yes. Yeah, and we were like, well, shoot, we need some decks. So you and I brewed our decks over the over the weekend. Mm -hmm. There's there's certainly more tech to be found. But I think your deck, if it, if it gets a little bit more streamlined, uh, is definitely something that's certainly super powerful for normal PDH, uh, maybe even CPDH, if we can start talking things like uh, combos and stuff. But yeah, the that intricacy of the end of the damage step is just, so many times you were mm -hmm. it almost kind of, i don't know what it is about these Rakdos commanders and you drawing all these cards chev but like it almost felt like an azra odds maker thing yeah yeah where i was just like why is he always drawing all of these cards it's it was it, it was a few steps away but but two notable plays and then i'll, I'll pass over the mic to talk about torwaki one was in game one and it was really what led to the the end state of the game julian cast was it evan Carr's justice in that game too that just nuked the yes. board and killed yes uh, Evan Carr's Justice with Torwauki out dealt three damage to to every creature, which essentially wiped the board. I had six creatures, four goblins, a Falconrath Noble, and Garna out. Uh, since it wasn't combat, I was able to deal a massive amount of damage. Um, I believe it was 17 damage in total to take out Brad, do a decent amount of damage to Blake, and then bring Julian down to one. I didn't want to kill Julian because Julian had 22 damage on the stack, and I was like, I would rather see that go places than uh, be up against a Seder Enchanter list alone. So, and then it ended up in a, in a 1v1 scenario. And then in the second game, some very good plays with goblins being dropped onto the battlefield that, again, fell victim to an Evancar's Justice that uh, Julian had the audacity to buy back at least three times, clearing my board <laughs> from being able to to really take advantage of the, the engine. But it's the kind of thing where if we get a little bit more support and we're not up against you know, another Rakdos deck. It could be a little bit more meta-dependent, but I think there's a lot a lot there to explore. Yeah, your deck was sick. It was doing a lot of the kind of like just grindy mm -hmm. sacrifice recursion stuff uh, and then pinging things to death, which I also happen to enjoy yes. pinging things to death. Torwacky honestly performed really well. I ended up winning that first game. That was probably like the, my favorite part of the whole night was uh, I had Torwacky out, Plus, I had uh, Hissing Iguana, which says whenever a creature dies, mm -hmm. yes. uh, deal one damage to target player. Chev, you had your Garner Trigger plus your Falcon Wrath uh, Aristocrat. Right. So when I cast Evancar's Justice, and I actually was also uh, gave Torwacky um, Undying as well, so he, he he stayed on the battlefield. But yeah, when I cast Evancar's Justice, I want to say something like 11 or 12 creatures died. Yeah, it was 11 creatures. And so you were dealing 22 damage, which these wide swaths of damage is not something I'm used to seeing in PDH a lot of the time. But between that and then the 17 that I dealt, it was just like, we had to do math, which is, is a new one for me. We had to discuss like triggers going in the stack, yep. who's active oh, player, yes. who resolves oh, first. It was my turn. I was active player and Chev's stuff would resolve first. I really thought he was just going to come through and nuke me. And I appreciate you making, I want to say, the smart play of allowing my stuff to resolve because otherwise, yeah. Part of the reason why we were in such a predicament was Blake had several different suited up creatures with auras over the course mm -hmm. of the game, including one creature that had hexproof Yes. Um, at one point, which was, it turns out a 5-5 hexproof is like mm -hmm. very hard to deal with, at least with the stuff we were working with. Um, so even though I felt like I was consistently just like, boom, all of a sudden I'm dealing like seven damage a turn. He's like, yeah, I'm just gaining seven back with my, my armadillo cloak and stuff. It was a struggle. And then the fact that sure. armadillo cloak does not actually grant life lifelink it's a second separate ability the way it used to be worded of whenever deals damage gain that much life which stacks with lifelink so if you get both of those on a creature you gain twice as much life uh the hexproof token came from a jade light pioneer i believe it was 
a forgettable common from Ixalan, except for the fact it makes a 1-1 hexproof Murphy. I was going to say, that's the only thing it does. Yes. In that deck, we also saw Silhani, Ledgewalker, everything you'd expect from like 60 card. Uh, I played Boggles for a little while back in the day. Everything you, you yeah. get from that just on a larger scale and with much more dangerous enchantments. So there was, there was a reason we were there, and I knew for a fact that once the board got wiped because Garna was dying as a 4-3 to this Evancar's Justice in Game 1, Falconrath Noble's a 2-2, and my four goblins. Recovery speed for me is going to be much slower than a Selesnia deck. When we saw in Game 2, Seder Enchanter kept coming back because each time it comes out, uh, Blake would draw three to four cards, which would give you enough lands to be able to play it the next turn and then get those enchantments. And really, that game ended when just drew enough enchantments to put up with uh, Julian's chump blockers. Yeah, that was a uh, that was pretty rough. We had a, a similar experience where it was a combination of Chev's things dying plus me dealing damage with Tor plus I, I want to say once again Evan Carr's justice. What a card! Um, what a card! Just happened to wipe out both Brad and Chev and not Blake. And even though he was only on I want to say like six life or so, he had a like six six Seder Enchanter, and I was nearly dead. So I was continued. I, I literally cast Tor. Uh, I want to say like three or four yeah, turns in a row times. just to chump block. Not where you want to be with a uh, four mana commander. Yeah, and then eventually he um he drew something that had life in and gained like ten life. He drew lifelink. Well. He, he it was the card lifelink that costs one white and gives a creature lifelink. Overall, amazing games. It felt very balanced for the fact that we were all playing or three of us were playing Rakdos Plus because you know there was a Grixis list and two Rakdos. We were able to deal with a lot of threats. It didn't feel like we were missing out much. Like I know sometimes we feel like in EDH when there's you know three of us or a bunch of us are on Gruul and we find we can't deal with enchantments because even the worst ones, it's still the creature that's the threat and that you usually have a way to deal with. All right, well, let's be real. We couldn't deal with enchantments this time either. And that true, did true. That did cause problems. Some graveyard uh, hate was very necessary to get rid of them. There was probably the last card I'll talk about um, was... Do you remember the name of the card that Blake played towards the end? It was one and a it white. It was like Mine Excavation or yeah, something? Yeah, Mine Excavation. That from I'd Lorwyn, never seen that before. Say. That was amazing. It was one and a white. Uh, put target artifact or enchantment from your graveyard into your hand, but it had Conspire. Conspire is you tap a certain number of creatures, you get to copy the spell. So he was able to bring try to bring back both a Armadillo Cloak and an Ethereal Armor from his graveyard back to hand, which is for two mana is insane. Game's good. Uh, Seder Enchanter continues to overperform. <laughs> we need that back in the. Yes. We need that back in the database because that deck, uh, being able to just draw a million cards, obviously, right? Like we talk about Tatiova, it's mm -hmm. like okay, well, you know, we're we're doing this, almost the same thing with uh, Seder Enchanter. Almost better. We can play more enchantments per turn than we can play lands. True. And plus, we're beating, gaining a ton of life, which is certainly, when, you, when you're gaining six life or seven life at a time, it's not negligible by any means. And finally, we can play the Bogos thing, right? We have these like untargetable kind of, you know, you can't mess with these sort of things. It's just really hard to get around yep. them. So it definitely deserves a spot in the, uh, in the database. And that being said, I think even though we were not playing specifically CPDH. High powered jank, I believe is, is uh, what they refer to it as usually. Fair enough. But um, it felt competitive. Yes. And it felt not to the same level, you know, a normal CPDH game would be, but it felt competitive and there felt like there was a lot of back and forth. Yeah. I um, mean, a lot of good games. PDH play, continues so. to be where I've seen the stack most used. Keeps you on your toes. It's, you know how uh, certain athletes will, uh, what is it, cross train? That's honestly what it feels like. Doing more PDH helps my EDH gameplay because I'm more on top of my triggers because every trigger matters as opposed to like, oh, I forgot to draw one card. That's okay. I'll play uh, Mind Reflection next turn or something. So yeah, tune into the stream and uh, if you want to play, hit up the thing. But yeah, you're right. Um, I, I played a ton of Pauper this week because yesterday... I had my first match in the PDC League that I, I plugged last episode. Right. And what, what deck list were you playing in the, the PDC League again? I was playing my Jelectro list uh, that we have uh, discussed Pinger on Tribal. various iterations of the pot. Yes, Pinger Tribal, um, which I felt pretty good about. I was up against Wyrox, mm -hmm. who was on a Loyal Apprentice deck, which is one of the like best decks in the... In the as much as the format exists... Uh, this is one of the best ones. When they did that uh, format, like, where's the format, you know, six months after officially announcing it on the home base, the article mentioned Loyal Apprentice by name as one of the best aggro decks. Because, of course, with those lieutenant creatures in PDH, if they're out there, you're going to get the benefit. And Loyal Apprentice costing two mana and making Thopters is brutal. Wyrox's deck is very much a just, I mean... It's like a red deck wins, you yeah. know, but like from it's just a bunch of haste creatures, loyal apprentice, um, and then a bunch of incidental burn, you know, three mana, three twos that when they enter deal two damage when you only got one 
opponent, those things are, you know, really good. And then we're playing, of course, all the good one mana burn spells. Lightning Bolt, Lava Spike, etc., etc., etc. We're even playing, like, Curse of the uh, the Pierced Heart, which is uh, pretty, pretty <laughs> spicy as well. They were on a balls-to-the-wall kind of aggro burn strategy. I was on my... Pinger Tribal, which is also kind of like a, a tempo burn uh, strategy as well. So it was very much just a race to the finish. Unfortunately, I did not win. I got O2'd. Uh, the first game was very close. Wyrox actually mulled to five, which was good, uh, and then proceeded <laughs> to go Lotus Petal Mountain. Uh, which was bad. <laughs> uh, which went uh, into Apprentice and then attacked for three immediately. Um, luckily, I basically was able to remove Apprentice every time it came down, and usually before it got to trigger, but that damage certainly adds up since they multi five and they kind of got stalled out on lands i was able to kind of draw things out but unfortunately i ended up just drawing a bunch of lands uh, kind of in the in the mid game and the final life loaf total was like literally like three two zero yeah it was very very close but unfortunately i did not did not eke it out kessic flame breather as well as thermo alchemist both did a bunch of work as they did in mm -hmm. our, our yes. PD, yeah. pdh games that we just had pinger tribal seems to be your thing recently yeah i'm i'm really into it i'm not gonna lie um game two was just just bad bad draws bad variants <laughs> like you know wirox played a good game i i just didn't do anything as well um hey you know it it happens to the best of us and apparently it also happens to you too so that's i started with a one lander and a card that could cycle for one mana as well as um a careful study which is like the blue faithless looting right and then i proceeded to draw one land and then i didn't draw lands uh, for the rest of the game, uh, which really sucked because I was playing a bunch of draw spells and I was able to play some burn spells to keep them off a few of their creatures. Um, and I even somehow on turn four, I was able to treasure coups by only paying one mana and I still did not draw any lands, which was very un unfortunate. And I didn't draw that many burn spells. I only drew like two shots. So what did you draw? If, if you weren't drawing burn and you weren't drawing lands? Uh, just a bunch of draw spells, really. And then also, of course, I only had two lands. So I had like three three drops in my hand that were just kind of rotting there. Yep. Yeah, when a Loyal Apprentice uh, is able to, you know, make Thopters three turns in a row and continue to attack, I actually got like super comboed out. It was a uh, Apprentice plus three Thopters in combat, then uh, Infuriate, which is plus three plus two, targeting uh, one of the Thopters, mm -hmm. then Reckless Abandon, one mana red sorcery, sacrifice a creature, deal four to target a creature or player, then <laughs> Seal of Flame, which is the enchantment that you can sack at any time to deal uh, two damage, and then Lightning Bolt <laughs> to finish me off <laughs> for, for Xaxes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was rough, but I had a lot of fun, thanks to Wyrox for some good games. And I'm um, looking forward to my next matchup. Hopefully, I'm able to uh, win this one. Electrode will have its day. Good to play some PDC. I did. I did play Electrode. I want to say like two or three times in game one, mm -hmm. and it just got killed. It just got killed immediately every single time. I never got to do anything with it. It's going to be interesting to see how Electrode does against a deck that isn't red or, or is not playing burn. I, I need to. I would need to look back at all the lists in the league, but I would say probably about half of them are red-based decks. But there, I think there's a couple Demir decks in there. I want to mm -hmm. say there's like a Golgari one as well. So um. Well, I'll let you know as, as things go out and yeah. how it fares. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to hear about this league, and I'm also interested to see if this leads to um, changes in the PDC ban list uh, versus the, you know, PDH. It's it's trying to be a separate format for good reason. It has the ability to. But these league plays and stuff will really show, kind of like we always see with, with the, the bigger formats, uh, what cards are being used, which cards are being overused, and which should be kind of adjusted to uh, see that. So if half the decks are red, it seems like something should change a little bit, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that comes out. Well, let's move on from uh, my brew mm -hmm. to your brew, Chev, you cheater. <laughs> this is the deck of the week segment. What is this? Deck of the week. It's my second deck of the week, and I'm uh, hyping my own deck. I'm here to give you the inside scoop, tell you in words what I told the, the database committee at the time. I wasn't on it until after I had submitted and this deck got approved. I wasn't able to count myself for a vote. Although that would be a fun little uh, <laughs> political political move. No, so in case you guys are unaware, I've talked about it a couple times on our After Dark, but the deck that, that I have on the, the database is a Duskmantle Guild Mage combo control by the, the given words. This is a Demir deck, so best colors, step up already. Duskmantle Guild Mage is a 2-mana two 2-2. Two -two. Uh, pay 3, a 1 in Demir. Whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere this turn... That player loses one life. The rest of the card doesn't matter. That's that's what we're here to do because the rest of the deck is uh, a Persistent Petitioner's build. Now, Persistent Petitioner's is the only blue card that has uh, a deck can have any number of them. It's a 1-3 for 2 mana from one of the new Ravnica sets. Tap 1 in it. Target player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. Okay. More interestingly... 
Tap four untapped advisors you control, which is the creature type of persistent petitioners. Target player puts the top 12 cards of their library into their graveyard. So we're hoping to get multiples of four uh, petitioners, and then we're hoping to activate Duskmantle Guild Mage, and we're going to be dealing 12 damage to people as we mill them. As Julian mentioned, even on our last podcast, mill is really not possible in four-player EDH, especially at the pauper rarity, uh, at least at the competitive mm. level. So you need to be dealing damage, and it's much easier to mill 30 cards and deal 30 life uh, than it is to mill 100. So that's the kind of loop we're going for here. What's also important to note is the ability for one in Demir, whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard, deal a damage, that can be stacked too. So if you've got a board full of petitioners, you can activate this multiple times and get multiple triggers off each. Uh, so it's very important to remember, you know, you have six mana open, four petitioners, you're hitting someone for 24. Now this accounts for 26 cards of the deck. Uh, you've got 35 lands in here as well. So like the Sir Conrad Rats list we talked about that just entered the database, a lot of the slots here are going to just the best of in Demir. Uh, you know, we're running, we're running Ether Spellbomb, Executioner's Capsule, Feed the Swarm, Into the Royal, Oublia, Pestilence, etc. We're just running the best of because all of our slots that could be dealing with our main strategy are already full. This has the full package of transmute cards, particularly focusing on ones that transmute for two, because that is how much a persistent petitioner costs. And honestly, the number of times that it's probably 75-25 that you're going to be uh, looking for a petitioner over even a removal spell. Because getting up to that four advisors is so crucial to the game plan that any way to tutor them up is going to be good. And the only reason that those slots of transmute are not dedicated to petitioners is because, you know, there's a one in four chance you need a removal spell. The two things I do want to bring up, though, um, outside of the main Demir cards that we're playing, two interesting things are Dramatic Reversal. Um, this usually is seen to do stuff with, you know, artifacts and dumb shit in EDH, but one in a blue to untap all non-land permanents you control. This is going to untap your petitioners, and in case you couldn't guess it, we're just going to tap them again and deal another 12 or another, another 24. So this is a great card to pull out of nowhere at instant speed. Everything you do here can be instant. Nothing needs to be activated as sorcery. This is before we got those activated as sorcery or only once per turn. So we, we skate skirted in there. Um, and then the other piece of tech is Echoing Return. One of the cards, you know, EDH is not going to be a, normally a home for Echoing Return. But for one black, we can return creature cards and all other cards with the same name from a graveyard to your hand. Another thing we can do is Path of Ancestry actually works here because uh, our commander is of type human and by having 25 other humans in the deck, it's tribal. And this also works with Echoing Truth that can be our downfall, but also our savior. Even as we were just talking about in the PDH game we played where Torwauki was able to cast an Evicar's Justice for three damage, that would kill all our petitioners. So while Echoing Truth can be used to bounce our entire board to our hand, we could also activate them at instant speed and annoy someone. But this can also save all of our creatures from imminent doom. Other than that, the deck kind of speaks for itself. We're running a ton of draw. Uh, we're running enough protection. Uh, it just got updated with DMU. So we, we've got Shore up in here. Um, and then, of course, Neurox Stealth Suit, Mizium Skin, uh, Whisper Silk Cloak. Everything to defend Duskmantle Guildmage because... The Guild Mage is so crucial to our plan because we need that damage dealt. Milling is not really a viable solution. I think the only time I managed to mill effectively with this deck was against an Around Me build that Eric had run, which milled itself. So I won't consider that a, a absolute victory. I kind of just stuck the nail in the coffin. I've known this deck. I've, I've gotten quite intimate with this deck, let's say. Uh, I have seen it since its, its inception, and I've seen it grow, and it is... Um, it's a potent deck, that's for sure. Uh, you are almost basically a tribal deck, right? So you get to play a lot of good stuff, like you said. Echoing Return, Echoing Truth. Um, also, Distant Melody for three yes. and a blue sorcery. Draw a card for each permanent of a creature type that you control. Um, you know, that's usually going to draw you four or five cards, which is pretty dang solid. Partitioners are able to mill a lot more than you would think. Yeah. Uh, let's just say. A lot more than I thought when I initially looked at the deck, but then I played against it, and uh, I was like, where did my library go? Oh, it's in my graveyard. The deck is similar to um, a lot of the Rats decks that we've been seeing. We just talked about the Sir Conrad deck. Uh, there's the Gary deck. These decks that are just like, listen, uh, we have 25 petitioners in here, which I think is almost on the low end. A lot of those decks right. we're playing. It, it could definitely play a few more. The sheer uh, single-mindedness of petitioners 
mill protect petitioners slash stop other people from mm. winning the game uh, and we are playing of course all the best things in the two best colors to do that so we love that like you said new dmu cards i see you uh, even got the shadow prophecy in there yeah there i love nice. shadow prophecy especially because this is a two color deck i actually um in the i've been trying to keep a log of when this deck has been updated and why shadow prophecy came in for siphon mind because i thought that even though siphon mind draws you an additional card and has that discard three mana instant speed draw two is more effective for what I'm trying to do here. And you're exactly right. The petitioners are on the low end. This is largely based on the meta that it was playing in at the time. And it goes into that a little bit in the primer where, you know, if you have to deal with other aggro strategies, you need to dedicate more slots to removal, counter magic, draw, etc. While you're still going to have one out of every four cards be a persistent petitioner, uh, if other decks are kind of gunning you down, you need to be able to protect yourself while also building up a board state. So there's a little bit of flexibility. Normally, I think we see around 30 cards of the given type. So uh, especially like in that Sir Conrad deck, you know, it's it's like 30, 32 rats, no tap lands. It's also mono black. So it doesn't have access to kind of be a little more dirtily like blue does. So if you take this list, I highly recommend making it your own and adjusting it to the meta that you're playing in to see, do you want slightly more petitioners or do you need to dedicate this number of slots to removal and interaction? I think that's 100% true. Always got to consider your own personal meta, but I think something that's kind of relevant to the meta as a whole, and we've discussed this, is the shift towards aggro. And me saying Pestilence is a good card is an inc it's an ice cold take. Yes. But I think the fact that um, a lot of things in the format have two toughness and the <laughs> petitioners have three, yes. uh, being able to Pestilence for just two to clean out the board, I think pretty important, especially because you get to retain your petitioners. Yeah, even though that's not like a me saying like, oh, look at this sick card that I found. It's called Pestilence. It's like, I, I think it is a, it synergizes very, very nicely with what we're trying to do. Exactly. That's the deck. It's it's the best of the best and it does what it needs to do. And I think Dustmantle Guildmage is just such a cool and interesting commander, especially for a format like this. Right. I really like what you've done combining the the ultimate memes, uh, the petitioners, with a way to just like literally blast someone for, like you said, 20 damage or something uh, in a single turn, uh, which is wild. So My final point about this before we, we move on to the, the juicy new spoilers if you're looking for a deck that you can truly bling out at the PDH level, that is one of the big things. PDH, we will advocate until the end of time that it is a relatively cheap format. This deck actually comes in on the very high end solely because Persistent Petitioners and any of those cards cost more than you'd expect and then you're running 25 of them. But there are very few decks that have the ability to bling out as hard as this one because persistent petitioners have gotten a ton of weird secret layer printings we saw birds we saw like every other thing too so if you're looking for a deck that you could spend more on than several edh decks this could also be the deck for you but the warning of this is on the high end the petitioners alone are 30 dollars, and that's normally where a pdh deck kind of falls in price and running the best of cards you know muddle the mixture merchant scroll relic of progenitus snuff out all of those that added just another 20 dollars uh, and so it comes in closer to 80, which is $50 higher, like I just said, than, than most other things. So it is a very cool deck. It's a very fun deck, but it does come in on that, that pricier end of things. It's worth it for the memes. <laughs> so enough about me. Um, let's talk about Warhammer 40,000, something that we don't know anything about, except that new cards are coming out October 7th in the form of four new commander decks. And I think two, two to three secret layers. I know one is focused around orcs. I know one is focused about Blood Bowl. Uh, and I know in the third one is about something else. None of those words mean anything to me. None of them should mean anything to you. You're here for the random commons and uncommons. The chaff, if you will, the only thing of this premium set that will drop to prices that we want to afford. Uh, let's talk about some of our new favorite commanders from, from this, this new set. Yeah, so we have uh, 25 new uncommon creatures in this set. We're just going to talk about a few of them because... Um, Frankly, I feel like a lot of these are, are are fine supplemental things, especially in like an EDH deck. But we 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 were uh, we felt it had obviously less potential than something like a Dominion United, but overall a little bit less potential to have something that you're actually going to want to helm your deck. But there are a few right uh, a few options here. Chev, what what do you have for your first one? So the the first disclaimer too, um, we are the the competitive popper podcast, so we're going to talk about the cards that are most most likely to show up on competitive tables. All of these are going to be fun cool builds, uh, et cetera, when you're playing more casually. But in, in the essence of, you know, what can actually be competitive, there are very few. Uh, so my my obvious pick uh, for a competitive commander is Primaris Chaplain. 
It's two and a white and a black for an Astartes Cleric, a 3-3. Battle Cry, uh, whenever this creature attacks, each other attacking creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. And then a, a an ability called Rosarius. Um, whenever, but that essentially just means whenever uh, Primaris Chaplain attacks, it gains Indestructible until the end of turn. Indestructible is incredibly powerful in PDH. There are very few ways to actually exile a creature. Um, there's, you know, Crib Swap. There's uh, a couple more white spells, I think. Does Ashes to Ashes uh, exile, or does that just destroy? Uh, it exiles. It exiles. So, Ashes to Ashes. But on the whole, and on a lot of... <laughs> on three of the five colors, there's not much you can be doing about a, a creature that's indestructible. So, what I think this means is you really lean into... Uh, the the attacking and knowing that you're going to survive the attack and so that means you can have things like um, explorer scope great sword of tear delver's torch all those amazing equipment that are attack triggers but you know if they're on a creature that you don't know whether or not it'll survive you're not going to get triggers on every single turn so you'll be looking at the top card of your deck for land you'll be growing prismar's chaplain with a uh, great sword of tear delver's torch you're going to be venturing every turn and we just talked about how powerful um initiative is Del uh venturing is not as powerful but still pretty powerful um throw a haunted cloak on this guy thanks to uh asl for the blind on reddit uh when when scarecrow uh brought it up in a the pauper edh uh, subreddit like th there's so much you can do when you know your creature is going to survive and on top of that um some of the other cards too since we're in white black we can do death touch right you know one of the coolest things about um Alcadron's uh, Azra Oddsmaker deck is the, you know, damned if you do because my creature will, like, take yours down if you choose to block it. Well, if I give my indestructible guy Death Touch, it's not as, you know, immediately, um, you know, synapse hitting as, you know, first strike in Death Touch, but you're still going to kill anything you come at with the aspect of the Gorgon uh, or a Maze Abomination or even an Instant Speed Blade Brand. So you've got a creature that is, is powerful enough and you can equip it with so many things that it's going to survive and make a, a really good, um, you know, move that this is a great sort of Voltron-esque commander. Uh, Chev, I think you're forgetting a very important other line of text on here, Battlecry. Uh, uh, we're in Ortsov, the color of tokens. Yes, yeah. So if all else fails, um, you can just make a ton of flying 1-1 one -one spirits or um, whatever have you, and they're all going to get plus 1, plus 0, and that is going to be incredibly powerful. And since you know your creature with Battlecry isn't going to die, you can kind of throw tokens at the problem until it becomes, uh, you know, solved. Uh, since, again, we're in Ortsov, we can then have the, the cards that care about death triggers like Death Greeter and Falconrath Noble. But really, there's just... It's, it's powerful. Um, you brew this in a casual pod, that Indestructible is going to make you lose a lot of friends very quickly. Um, and then the, the token sub theme to really drain them out when all of their attention is focused on getting this four mana three, three off the board. Um, you can do well, and you're still sharing one of the best colors you've got, you've got your, uh, removal. Um, you've got flicker and regenerate in black, uh, if something were to happen and then in white, give it protection from the colors you're worried about. A hundred percent. Uh, Ortsov has been really going off between this and the, um, the, uh, Elias Pilgrim. Uh, from Dominator United. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of uh, powerful stuff happening, and I 100% agree. The fact that this can attack on so many angles, it can be a Voltron uh, commander, it can be a token commander, it can be a aristocrat uh, commander, it can be a combination of all three, because that way your opponents can never truly shut off your avenue to victory. Um, this thing goes hard. Uh, four mana, I, I don't love that it's four mana. Yeah. Um, I wish it was a little cheaper, but still you know we have plenty of ways to slow the game down or at least protect it until it can get to attacking mm -hmm. um so i'm expecting some pretty some uh i'm expecting some pretty good things to come from the primaris chaplain for sure all right julian what's uh what's your first pick for potential in the ddb um so this is my this is my one that i think has as a pretty good uh, shot. This is the Venom Thrope. It's a one, a green, and a blue for a two-two. And we just got keywords, baby. Flying, death touch, hexproof. Uh, now, first of all, we just talked about the uh, the Seder Enchanter thing. Uh, boggles, things with hexproof, mm -hmm. uh, pretty crazy. Uh, we also have flying, so we have evasion, even though it's a two-two. Um, I'm definitely seeing some sort of 
Voltron strategy for this. Um, we also just are in the combo colors. Yeah. So similar to other things we've talked about, you can just kind of have like a backup, oops, I win sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, Hexproof is busted uh, as well. And uh, also we are in the colors of Simic. So we have a ton of ways to just buff or put counters on. Yeah. Um, and since we have Death Touch and we can easily give Trample in green, uh, that's a great way to get through even if we, ha we have... Um, you know, even if they have a flying blocker, except we're in blue, so we can just give unblockable as well. So I feel like there's just no situation in which we're not getting damage in here. Right now, obviously, it's a little bit harder to get the full like I'm just swinging for you know 16 in one turn or something, but you never know. And uh, of course, we uh, I mentioned this on our Dominaria United uh, thing, but there's we're getting more and more green cards that say deal damage equal to power uh, yes. or you know pseudo fight sort of things. Uh, which is a great way to get rid of blockers when we're in our Voltron deck. And we have Death Touch, so we can nuke anything mm -hmm. that we want uh, with this. Um, I was also going to compare this to, I could have swore that we had a Night Veil Predator list in the DB, but then I checked back and it wasn't there. I don't know if it was removed or if it was a deck that we heard about in the community, but it never officially got uh, mm -hmm. into there. But Night Veil Predator is very similar. It's four mana for a uh, flying, uh, I believe also flying Death Touch and Hexproof. Yeah. Um, and that is a blue black list, so it gets a bit more of the control tools. Um, but green blue is still. A, yeah, I'll, a potent. I'll take green and its ability to just fight things, murder them. Or I think it's bite is what the uh, the shorthand for uh, dealing damage but not taking it is. But mm, yeah, green, like you said, has been getting a lot of those effects, which is great. Green also has token generation, which is going to be super important when we're dealing with the main threat to hexproof, which is um, edict effects. edict effects, right? And it also gives us just buffs and counters, like you mentioned. So there's a lot you can do in green um, that will make this a, a, an incredibly potent threat. And coming down a turn earlier is is no small feat. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So uh, interested to see what Venom Throp can do. Chev, you have a second pick. This one's a bit more speculative, but what do you got going on? So um, when, I, when I try to evaluate a potential CPDH commander, the, the two sort of axes that I, I personally uh, look at and know that I can pilot well is something that is aggressive enough that you know, you're know you leaning on the commander, you're leaning on the strategy they provide, and you're trying to deal damage to the life points. And the other one is going to be a very solid value engine. Like That's what we see with Azra Oddsmaker. That's what we see with Garna. Uh, these are decks that I, I really enjoy. And so my less obvious pick for a really good uh, CPDH commander uh, is Acolyte Hybrid. It's two and a red for a 2-2. Two -two, uh, Tyranid Human. Uh, whenever Acolyte Hybrid attacks, destroy up to one target artifact. If an artifact is destroyed this way, its controller draws a card. So on on the the, the base level, you've got a, a three-mana 2-2 two -two that probably needs to attack, and it can handle Whisper Silk clothes, Cloaks, it can handle Neuro, uh, Neurox Stealth Suits, it can handle the things your opponents have, but that's largely not what I see this creature doing. I see it self-targeting. I see it targeting our own artifacts, to let us draw a card and then gain benefits from them. We've got we've got the the wellsprings, we've got Mer Retriever, we've got uh, the workshop. Uh, we have all these things that um, have an ETB and an LTB, and they're usually like draw a card, search for a basic land, uh, make a treasure. And so when we're doing that with this hybrid that we're swinging, um, we can sacrifice it and get two treasures and and cards and etc. on our own turn. And it's just such an incredibly powerful value engine that I think it could be incredibly useful. Uh, also, cards that make treasures like Big Score, Sticky Fingers, and Hoarding Ogre, all of those, you, you're sacking this treasure to draw a card. Uh, it gives you a lot of options. Um, I, I just think the, the biggest things and what makes this less obvious is you're only in one color, and unlike something like Azra Oddsmaker, you don't have access to black to kill things or regenerate things. We talked about on our last podcast that Zada Hedron Grinder is able to exist in mono red because it is just such a potent commander, and I don't think anyone would make the argument that Acolyte Hybrid is near Zada in power level. So we're making up for a lot in the fact it's mono red, and we, we have uh, less access to options. Um, but... At the same time, then maybe we can benefit from this being a less targetable commander because we are just dirtling a little bit with our own resources and it's more the, the resources themselves than the commander that's the problem. Um, but I think given the right resources, this could be a, a really cool deck that kind of deals with that sort of self-targeting and builds an interesting sort of um, situation you don't normally get to see in mono red. Yeah, 100%. 
I agree. I love the idea of, um, especially just if we have incidental like uh, artifact tokens, like a treasure or a clue or something, being able to just cash that in for a card seems great. Um, and I think there's a couple like mono red, of course, is not the best color combo in CPDH, but I think definitely something that makes use of like Reckless Fireweaver and Ingenious Artillerist. Yes, yeah, um, lean into that artifact. Ping through energy, if we're sure. making a bunch of that. And we do have options. They're not the most efficient options, but we do have combo options in here. We mm -hmm. can, um, uh, the combo that we mentioned when we reviewed Commander Liara Portier, which has uh, like Junk Diver, Mirror Retriever, yeah. Astronaut's Altar, and Workshop Assistant. Um, we, I believe we can, I believe that is a completely colorless combo. So we can play that in here and we are going to be uh, generating value off those various pieces um, before we get to our combo pieces, which hopefully we can draw into them with the hybrids. So yeah, I think it's going to be, if anything, it'll be on the fringes, but I can definitely see the potential um, for a different sort of build. And certainly I think this could be, uh, you know, potent in, in normal PDH, but for CPDH, um, I think the stars could align. Right. I think it needs a few more tools before it can actually get there. Uh, we probably need like one or two cards that very clearly align with it in a particular way. Um, and I'm, we're not quite there, but I think we're very close. I have a similar card that is, uh, I think there's potential here. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a Sawtech Immortal. So two and a black for a artifact creature Necron. It's a 2-2. Two -two. It has flash. And then it has an ability where it enters the battlefield with a 1-1 one -one counter on it for each creature that died this turn. I'm seeing this primarily in sort of like a mono-black control deck. I'm almost thinking something like the Gary or Sir Conrad rats list. Um, say we play a bunch of rats, and then if someone decides to wipe the board or we decide to Pestilence or mm -hmm. Evan Carr's Justice our own board, um, and then we can flash this in afterwards and it enters as like a 9-9. Nine -nine. Uh, that's pretty, yeah, pretty solid. And of course, black is one of the most potent colors, so it can kind of just stand on its own. Um, we can maybe play a combo or two in there, um, but just the fact that this is uh, huge and can, you know, key off us playing the few board wipes that are in the format, yeah. um, I could see it making some impact. Once again, I don't see this being a staple, mm -hmm. but. Uh, if I had to grasp at straws, this is the straw I would grasp at. Yeah, I, I, I think there's definitely something here, too, for it would be a truly horrifying deck to play against, but that's honestly what the art of a robotic skeleton is is giving me. Uh, you're playing not only all the board wipes and stuff, but you're playing every flesh bag marauder. I think we're up to like four or five at the common rarity now, where you know you drop one of those, you're, you're probably killing four creatures in that turn, um, and then this thing's coming down as a 6-6 six, six for three mana. Uh, also, in any particular case, you drop this and it gets killed. It, black is the color of, uh, you know, that regenerate flicker that we now have, uh, where it's going to come mm. back even with an additional counter because it itself died that turn. So, right. while board wipes might not be the, the sole reason that this is coming down huge, I think it's a great um, tool in a, a deck that largely is just keeping everyone's creatures off the board, either through removal, something like, um, you know, Ashes to Ashes is going to take care of... Oh, no, that's that's not dies. Uh, but cards that <laughs> kill creatures, watch out for Exile. Um, that plus Edicts and Board Wipes, a little bit of card draw sprinkled in for good measure. Um, this thing is going to come down with, yeah, with Flash, uh, if you can do any of this as instant speed, and really ruin someone's day. Yeah, 100%. Um, Chev, I think we should just give one last look through uh, these potential things and if, see if there's anything else that piques pique our mm -hmm. interest. Just shout it out if you see yeah. it. Um, I was just looking. Uh, I think I want to say that there's a, a way we can break Flayed 1, 2 and a black, uh, Lifelink 4-1 when it enters the battlefield, Mill 3. Like you said, we have uh, all sorts of sacrifice outlets in the return to the battlefield if this card would die. Yeah. Um, but I... I Self-mill always seems like powerful, but I'm not sure what we could do with it in mono-black. Yeah. Um, my, um, my one you pointed would be, out Hexmark uh, Destroyer to me? What? You pointed out Hexmark Destroyer to me. Do you have any... How are you feeling about that? Uh, Hexmark Destroyer... I think I think Hexmark Destroyer, uh, probably not competitive, but it's... I mean, it's essentially a 6-6 six, six for 6 that has unblockable. Um, it doesn't take much to make this a 2-hit kill. Uh, and the fact it has unearthed for 6... Again, these are expensive costs, but being able to play it for six, it dies, then you can bring it back for another turn, so you're essentially getting two casts of it per um, commander tax. But, you know, you're starting at six mana. By the time you get to eight or ten, this is just out of range. 
Um, I think I think if any card really has sticking power that we didn't discuss, it might be Trigon Prime. Uh, two, a green and a blue for a 4-4. Four, four. When it attacks, put a 1-1 one, one counter on it and a 1-1 one, one counter on up to one other target attacking creature. That creature can't be blocked this turn. Uh, originally, I was hesitant because, you know, it's not giving itself unblockable. It's giving something else unblockable. And for that thing to have unblockable, Trigon Prime has to attack. But we're starting at a 4, and then it's, it's growing in size. Um, it only takes a few counters on an infect creature or something to make it count, uh, or, or even just a big green threat that when it's saddled up with enough um, counters on it or enchantments, Trigon Prime can get through. You're probably paying, playing honestly like 60 of the same cards that you would in a Venomthrope deck, uh, just because it's similar, you know, we're attacking with a beefy creature and we're giving it unblockable. Um, but again, I think it, it struggles from the fact that its benefit goes to something else and you need it to attack to get that benefit. Uh, but should it continue to exist, or you manage to hit it with a Whisper Silk, this thing will grow uh, to a truly terrifying size. You know, um, I just did a little look, and there are 12 creatures at common in blue-green mm -hmm. that have Infect. And we have some ways to proliferate. So maybe, just maybe, you could make an Infect You can make a case for it, um, for sure. With Trigon Prime. I think, I think it would have that age-old issue uh similar to voltron where you one person would go and then you would feel the wrath yeah. um i think the last card i just want to shout out real quick sanguinary priest is such a boring card three and a three yeah. and a black for a two four lifelink whenever another creature you control dies sanguinary priest deals one damage to any target um we've seen this effect on a million things this is like literally horribly boring but when we can recur and sack and do all sorts of stuff like that, this may have a place. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it might be up against that new guy we got in Dominaria. I think it's Elias. Uh, or maybe it's the, Ellis. Um, uh, the black-white guy? Yeah, or, or I think I think it's actually a... a um, not a guy. But anyway, it's, it's, you know, creature you control dies, deal one, gain one uh, for two mana. Yeah. So it, it comes down a little bit faster and also in an additional color so something like that i i feel like yeah ellis ilcor sadistic pilgrim white and a black whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control okay you gain one whenever another creature you control dies each opponent loses one so with something like that that's just strictly better yeah it comes down just faster better never mind um yeah so i i don't see i don't see sanguinary priest doing anything except for uh, warhammer 40k fans that's fair but enough. well it's unfortunate that the uh, the uncommons were mostly a bust, mm -hmm. but um, we do have two big downshifts yes. to common that yep. we can now play in the 99. Yeah, we got uh, Go for the Throat, which is a two-mana black instant, destroy target non-artifact creature, and Unstable Obelisk, which is a three-mana mana rock, taps for a colorless, or tap seven and it to destroy target permanent and sack it. Uh, these are huge. Uh, I know, Julian, earlier in the week, you were comparing Go for the Throat to Cast Down, and saying that it might even be potentially better in a lot of lists. Yeah, me and me and Brad actually, who was who we were just playing PDH mm -hmm. with, uh, were discussing this on Twitter. And yeah, I think generally, especially in something like CPDH, where the commander is so pivotal to everything, yes. um, being able to play Go for the Throw over Cast Down, um, over a, a few uh, different removal spells, really, uh, it just hits so many things. Yeah, uh, this is generally better than most of the things that say destroy target non-black creature um so uh, it's great and i'm just trying like how many commanders are artifacts i can think of maybe one or two right like very Armix. few the, the number of times that i've been looking at an artifact creature and been like man i need to kill this versus the number of times i've been looking at a black creature and thinking man i need to kill this is uh it's, yeah. it's very leaning in one direction over the other yeah go for the throat has um always been kind of like one of the most efficient removal spells especially at two mana mm -hmm. for only one black pip um so it's super great that we uh we have it here now in in the format and i think it's going to quickly become um, a staple not that we don't have a ton of already great black exactly. removal, but yeah. this is one of the most efficient i would think yeah and, and uh, unstable obelisk is is also huge as well oh sorry yeah yeah no i i completely agree um unstable obelisk i think is going to be great um specifically for red and black decks uh one of the biggest sort of banes that can happen to you as a deck that doesn't have white or green um, is an oubliette on your commander. 
you can't deal with enchantments. And so you're kind of stuck uh, with your commander in the zone that isn't out of the game and it's not in the game. Um, and that can really derail so many plans. So having a having something that's stapled onto a mana rock that lets you deal with an Ublia at once is way more than we had already. And I know there was some discussion. Uh, Universal Solvent, I think is the name. It's a one mana artifact, mm -hmm. tap seven in it, sack it, you know, destroy target permanent, doesn't see any play. And it's like, well, okay. But that doesn't also tap for mana. Um, so especially in colors that already need help with, with ramp, uh, being able to have it come in and tap for mana uh, is huge and then have that as a sort of a, a in case of uh, emergency sort of switch makes this a really powerful card and really beneficial in decks that care about their commander and can't deal with enchantments yeah 100% this is just being able to out something like that is is so important and like you said this can also just be a mana rock it's not one of the most efficient mana rocks we've had but it's there and being an artifact, we can uh, search it out with um, certain tutors as well as certain like transmute cards. So uh, I definitely think it's something that, uh, especially something like maybe that Zada list we were yeah. checking out, uh, should should consider including. Um, but but yeah, only two downshifts, but I would say both power downshifts for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely, most definitely. Chev, somehow on our third episode with the most individual topics at least to cover um we have come in at our lowest amount of time yeah. at a clean 56 minutes wow we're lean Imagine. and mean we are we are lean and mean this might this might even get down to 50 after editing we'll see yeah. are there any um, final remarks you want to you want to say since we got the extra time yeah i'd love to um uh dusk mantle guild mage is for um losers um oh, that's fair. Yeah. warhammer 40k was uh frankly i'm gonna say you know what uh, I'm, I'll, I'll just be the I'll just be the mean person. Uh, Dustmantle Guildmage is for losers, and um, Warhammer 40k was actually kind of like disappointing um, in terms of uh, CPDH and PDH. Mm -hmm. I would say um, I think it's going to be fucking sick for EDH, but I will say the ban list was solid, which is great. So that's my my one. Uh, actually, no, I have several upbeats. Uh, all the games that I played this week um, with and without you were also uh, wonderful. Yeah. So here's to many more games uh, in the future. Yeah. So, uh, yep, yeah, that's episode three. Um, tune in next week when we go over the fact that three quarters, I think, of Unfinity are Black Border. So we might be getting some new new commons and uncommons there that we'll have to discuss uh, here on the pod for your, your competitive Do we leaning. actually have to talk about them? Of course. Is that what we're talking about next week? Yeah, we're talking about it next week. <laughs> oh, my Spoilers God. Spoilers start tomorrow, uh, September 20th, and they go through, I think, the end of the week. Uh, and that's it. That set also releases on October 7th. It's going to be a fun week. I'm going to have a great time, and I'm going to make fun of Julian the whole time for being upset that something with a name like Water Gun Game is going to now see play in CPDH. We're going to talk about the Acorn crap and all that, and we'll, we'll, I'll get mad then. I'll, okay, say, okay. I'll save getting mad until next episode, so, so just you wait. And that's the end of the show. We don't have a dedicated sign-off yet. <laughs>